Hey everyone, welcome to episode 132 of the InFocus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. Something amusing. <laughs> and Tori Wassenaar. Something slightly more amusing. Hey. It's not a competition. <laughs> it is. It's not, but if it were, I won. Dance for my approval. <laughs> uh, and this week, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the... Lilith and the Fight for Sanctuary DLC hitting Switch, finally. Uh, we're going to talk about Hori uh, bringing accessibility to the Switch. Uh, we're going to talk about Pixel Puzzle Makeout League, which uh, I hope is a, as exciting as it sounds. Uh, no More Heroes 2. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity demo. I would have avoided, but you know they put in the feature to carry progress over to the full game, so I couldn't resist it this time. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Fuser. So with that, let's get on with the latest Switch news. Okay, so news that's sure to delight Andrew. Uh, the DLC for Borderlands 2, uh, Commander Lilith and the Fight for Sanctuary finally hit Switch. Uh, this was a free DLC uh it is on Switch as well, uh, for a time period, same as it was originally. And it sort of fills in the gaps between Borderlands 2 and Borderlands 3. Uh, I did play it uh, originally on Xbox, and I, I quite enjoyed it as that little uh, go-between. Uh, it didn't really give you any th- hint of how Borderlands would play differently. Uh, the answer is, you know, not a great deal. There's some cool like new movement and climbing abilities in Borderlands 3, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it as a, a little taster about what the story uh, might entail. Uh, this is climbable until December 3rd, so I'd get on it, and apparently you can still get it even if you don't own the game. So if you're planning to get it on the Black Friday sale, or if you're planning to get it for Christmas, or for somebody else for Christmas, claim it on their account so they have it, because after December 3rd it's not mm-hmm. going to be free anymore. That's sound advice. It was disappointing it wasn't just included with the base level uh, Borderlands 2 download on, on Switch since it came well after that released, but, you know, at least they're making it free. Andrew, you mentioned that there was some uh, technical issues with it, though. Very severe technical issues. Um, it, from what I understand, it's not happening to everybody, but it's happening to enough people, and it's also happening to me. Uh, once you've mm-hmm. installed this DLC, once you boot the game up and you get to the main menu, the game crashes. And there doesn't seem to be any workaround for this. Uh, <laughs> so that, you know, sucks. But I'm sure they're going to fix it at some point. It's been two weeks and it's still not fixed, which is concerning. But I doubt they're just going to leave this permanently broken thing out here forever. mm I'm sure it'll nah, get fixed no. at some point. <laughs> can only think they'll fix it. Yeah. So that does lead to the issue of, you know, once you claim the DLC, how do you keep it from getting downloaded every time you're playing the game or installing the game? Uh, you can do that by claiming the DLC like normal. And then if you go to the eShop and you go to the re-download screen, if you hold down the L button before you hit re-download on Borderlands 2... That will re-download the game, it'll give it all the current patches, but it'll stop this DLC from installing. And that's the Mm. only workaround for this right now. And 
it is a good idea to have those patches because it the commander lilith patch did add some quality of life improvements to the game it adds a field of view slider and some people who have motion sickness playing first person games they find that being able to adjust the field of view the uh, the amount of zoom that is put on the first person perspective does help them and it also reorganizes the fast travel map because in the default game the fast travel network is just this one huge super long list of names and it's not very <laughs> user friendly to navigate especially since Borderlands 2 has like six different pieces of DLC that go to different continents so <laughs> it was not great uh, but now with this patch it's all the uh, locations are divided up by the part of the game they're set in which helps a lot so it's worth getting at least that patch and get the DLC because it is a really good DLC uh, like Andy said it, it bridges the gap between Borderlands 2 and 3 but it didn't introduce the conflict of Borderlands 3 like I expected it to it's really more an explanation of why they have a new ship in Borderlands 3 than anything else mm-hmm. it does um, but that happens and uh, it's worth playing it's worth having and I'm sure they'll get the crashing glitch fixed at some I think point it introduced the um tales from the borderlands characters a bit more formally. it did it, it integrated yeah, them and, all that. and yeah tales from the borderlands was is excellent it's i love that game it, it's telltale's best game it's, it's better than the walking dead believe it or not uh, <laughs> and uh it definitely canonized a lot of those tales from the borderlands characters which i really appreciated as well so that's another reason to play that dlc yeah, when I was playing it, I was like, man, it was just a reminder about how well Borderlands 2 story hits and how good the writing is for that. Um, I know this was written by different people, but it, it carries that same tone. And I like everyone just thinks of it as the goofy humor game, but I think when it hits, I think it hits really well. Um, I think that's the beauty of comedy writing. Yeah. I mean, like, the, you know, the, the jokes and stuff aren't as good in Borderlands 3, but yeah, yeah it's... Uh, you know, there's a clear step down when you move on to Borderlands 3, the, and part of the reason why I haven't finished it yet, but um, yeah, 2 is just... Uh, it's pitch perfect. Well, I, a lot of people complain about the humor in Borderlands 2, and actually I don't disagree with them necessarily. Like, I, I'm not annoyed by the humor in Borderlands 2, like a, a lot of people seem to be, but I also agree that I don't really think it's that funny of a game. Like, a lot of the jokes <laughs> in it are really more there to show how pathetic these people are and how how crushed they are by this world they live on and like humor is kind of all the the only escape they have left so that's Mm -hmm. that's my read on the humor of it and i i've never considered borderlands 2 to be a comedy game let alone a bad comedy game it's just a a post-apocalyptic space game where everything sucks Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and everyone sucks as well for that matter um yeah, so that that's that. Uh, grab that while you can. Uh, I'm going to do that after the show. Uh, now, uh, Hori have developed, or are developing, sorry, an adaptive controller for the Nintendo Switch. That's good news uh, for people that, you know, need a different controller scheme to that uh, that has become the traditional one over the years. Um, looks kind of similar uh, although not, not identical to Microsoft's uh, adaptive controller um you know it's it's not something I'd 
I, you know, look to use, but it's it's good that more people can play if, if these things exist. Uh, my question is, have they explained how motion control is going to be handled with this thing? I don't think so. Because that's the one thing the Switch does that the others don't. <laughs> because there are a lot of, I think, wired pro controllers. Mm-hmm. And in quotation marks, like third-party ones that don't have motion in them as well. So I assume it would work much the same way, that if the game needs it, then you're in trouble anyway. Yeah, that does still gate people out of uh, games that have force motion control. I'm thinking, okay, it wasn't entirely force, but Mario Odyssey, if you want 100% that, you need to have motion controls at some point. Yeah. It's like, it's 90% there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's more of a problem with Nintendo because... They do so much motion control. Mm-hmm. Like you can do pointer controls with a with a touchpad. So if they include that in this controller system, that would work. But like, yeah, like mm-hmm. as far as three D controls, that I mean, what besides one two switch even uses that? I don't know of any games. Uh, but <laughs> I'm thinking games like Splatoon. Where the gyro, it, it like very heavily suggests that you should be using the gyro. Now then I turned it off and never looked back. <laughs> it, that's a whole discussion. <laughs> you could use a touchpad for the kind of gyro controls Borderlands or uh, Borderlands. <laughs> for the kind of gyro controls Sport- Splatoon has, and Borderlands also has gyro controls, FYI. Uh, but <laughs> yep. Yeah, in, in a game like Splatoon, you're, you're probably not going to be playing too competitively without the the motion controls was yeah was all i was going to say like you can play without them but yeah hey i think i was pretty competitive (laughs) it's hard not to sound like an elitist in this because i i did play in a couple (laughs) of competitions but oh (laughs) um they had competitions it's, it's the same sort of logic of like controller versus mouse and keyboard like you can get pretty high up with a um with a controller with the thumbsticks but a mouse allows for just a little bit more precision than a controller ever could but it's up to the individual skill level and regardless this controller opens that up mm-hmm. whether or not it's got gyro which i think is good yeah the more people that can play the better exactly um, uh, although you know i think shooters with uh, controllers are is is a bigger skill than using mouse and keyboard. Yeah, I think shooters just have a higher skill ceiling. Yeah. Um, this is going to be good for like classic Nintendo games, to be honest, like mm-hmm. your platformers, and you, you might even be able to repurpose this for like a fighting game, to be honest, because it looks like mm. their their mini fight stick. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and you know there is the old uh, the new type of fight stick that doesn't have any sticks. What do they call it? A mix box or a hitbox? Uh, f- a fight box, I fight think. Box. But yeah, and yeah. Uh, you c- you control the jumping and everything and crouching with buttons. I've been dying dying to try one. I just really hope that this gets a broad retail release. <laughs> yeah, because Hori stuff is like fifty fifty. Sometimes you can grab it at EB Games, and sometimes you have to like import it. And like even with the Xbox One, you know, they're, they're advertising that left, right, and centre, but I've never seen one in a shop or one yeah. 
available in a shop. I don't know if you have to get it directly from them or whatnot. Yeah. But having another one on the market is like really good for kind of encouraging to normalize this sort of mm-hmm. um, hardware. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think the like, Xbox One actually did work on Switch. I don't know if that's been patched to, to block that, but that, that was a thing. Yeah. Uh, well, people even found then, out. there are adapters as well. Mm-hmm. But these are pricey. Yeah. Is it 230 yeah, American yeah. for the horror? Yeah. Game? Yeah. I mean, it is a specialist controller, but. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't include the extra buttons because you can plug in external joysticks and buttons to this. Mm-hmm. So if you're more comfortable playing with you know feet or elbows or whatever your situation is, mm-hmm. as you can tell, I'm quite passionate about this product, even though I don't need it. <laughs> yes, um, it's also worth saying check out the work of uh, those at Special Effect, who build custom controllers for people with disability. Uh, they do some really good work, and uh, you know it's really nice to see uh, opening up the you know different types of games to a lot of different people. For sure. Now, looking at you, Sony. Yeah. Okay, uh, with that, let's uh, move on to the things we've been playing. Okay, to uh, kick things off, I've been on a bit of a a high fantasy kick at the moment, so I went back to Skyrim this week. That's what I've been playing most nights. Uh, Yeah, it's still Skyrim. Uh, I look forward to playing it on PS5 at some point in the future. Um, <laughs> Love these exciting new consoles that we can play Fortnite on. Yeah. And Grand Theft Auto <laughs> Online. <laughs> yeah, GTA 5. Yeah. Uh, man, I love Skyrim, but, you know, the combat has aged horrifically, I think. In the What was it, 11 years? Was that the anniversary? I thought it came no out in way. 2011. It's not... That yeah. it's not as old as people like to remember it is, but yeah, it, the the combat has yeah. aged pretty pretty badly in that last last gen. I yeah. think I never really engaged with Skyrim's combat. I always just play the stealth build and just one shot mm-hmm. everything from behind. <laughs> like I'm not doing this hack and slash stuff. This stuff sucks. Uh, I remember seeing you play, uh, show some clips where you're just like hitting people with arrows and they just come right next to you, not see you, and then walk off again. <laughs> yeah, my uh, <laughs> Stealth in Skyrim is Broken series. Those tweets are still up yeah. if you want to look them up. <laughs> oh, nice. uh, but my, my save, because I usually play, uh, you know, sword and board and then mix it up with the, the magic in the left hand. Uh, when I started playing the Switch version, I was playing D&D where I was playing a... You know, a great sword wielding uh, meathead. So I was trying to play that style. So that's where my character's geared, and the movement on that is clunky as hell. Like if you swing the sword a certain way, he'll take a, a couple of steps to the left and away from the enemy. <laughs> oh, it's playing first person. It does like weird things with the camera too. Yeah, I, I'm playing in first. Yeah, um, I, I I love the game. I, I love like exploring this world and just like. You know, I'll be off on a mission and just be like, hey, what the hell is that over there? And go go for a wander. And I completely forgot that you go to Morrowind as part of the main story. Yeah. I haven't played it in ages. I don't remember that. Yeah, you, you go off to Morrowind to look for some black books. Cool. I was going to make a crap joke about the show Black Books in, but I'll uh, <laughs> I'll drop that. I'm not in a place to do that one on the fly. Apologies. <laughs> just everyone just recognized that I attempted to make that joke. So yeah, uh, that's the game I'm going to chip away at when there's nothing else I want to play or if I'm waiting, at something, uh, waiting for something. 
uh, which in this case is Hyrule Warriors, but we'll come back to that later. Have you done any of the Amiibo stuff in Skyrim? No, no. I couldn't even tell you what the functionality was. I think you get the tunic and the Master Sword and the shield. Oh, you know what? I might have done that. It's probably just stuck in my chest at Bree's home. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, I, I will double check that. That's a very good point. You get you get the Zelda stuff. Yeah, so uh, that's that. Uh, let's move on to Pixel Puzzle Makeout League, which is a dating sim based around uh, Picross. Yes, it is. <laughs> you always steal my intro, Andy, and it always messes up my flow. <laughs> uh, sorry. Do you want me to re-record it? No, that's all right. I'll just repeat it. <laughs> uh, Pixel Puzzle Makeout League is a dating sim with nonogram puzzles thrown into it, or like literally you're playing a dating sim, you read through all the dialogue trees, and every so often there's a pie cross puzzle thrown at you just to mix things up. That That is the entire game. <laughs> You play as a superheroine named Pixel Girl who has just moved to a new city and has joined a group of uh, other superheroes called the Puzzle League. There's the team leader Chess, who is really good at strategy. There's Crossword, who knows all kinds of inexplicable facts. There's Sudoku, who is cold and logical and really smart. And there's Pisa, who is a puzzle piece from outer space who left their planet and came to live on Earth. Pisa is the weird one. (laughs) (laughs) Pixel Girl can go out on dates with any of these four characters, and I I use dates in air quotes because you're also investigating this this mystery of this seemingly endless tower that has appeared in the middle of the city. And while investigating its origins, Pixel Girl can team up with one of the other characters and then they have all kinds of meet cute moments and just you know little relationship building stuff i haven't finished the entire game yet but i i have felt that it seems to fall on pixel girl to do a lot of the emotional labor in these relationships especially with chess and crossword where they both have these pretty big hang-ups and pixel girl is just there to uh you know, kind of witness them in these weak moments and then support them. And then that deepens their relationship. There's really, there's a lot of give and not much take in these relationships I have felt so far. (laughs) Uh, But there is a nice gender balance. There's two men and there's two women. Uh, Pisa is considered a girl, but uh, I I was disappointed that they didn't go for non-binary with Pisa. I thought that was an opportunity to follow that route, but they decided, nah, Pisa's a girl too. And Pisa's dates I feel the most negatively about because Pisa's dates removes all of Pixel Girl's agency in the relationship because Pisa is, like I said, she's the weird one and just stuff just happens on these dates. Like suddenly you're flying and now we're going in the water and I'm going to become... I'm going to use my legs like an engine in the water, and I'm not going to ask you if this is okay. Uh, This is just going to happen. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I don't like Pisa. But how the game is played is on a map screen where uh, you can see throughout the city where all the characters are at, and you can walk (laughs) to where the characters are at on kind of like a Super Mario Bros. 3-style map screen, and then you activate the character, and then... 
their dialogue scenes will play out, and these dialogue scenes are occasionally interrupted by Pycross puzzles, because that is supposed to be Pixel Girl's power, is she looks at things and she sees them as Pycross puzzles, but a lot of the times the context of this power doesn't really make sense. Like, there's one time where she's comparing uh, Crossword to Sherlock Holmes, so just suddenly you have to st solve a pixel puzzle of a deerstalker cap for some reason uh, <laughs> like it's a silly game so i i can't get down on it too harsh for these contextual lapses but if really all you want to do is just play a really light dating sim with pie cross puzzles in it then this game is going to deliver for you uh and so, uh, other than the the nodes on the map that progress the story there's also puzzle clusters which are just these small areas where you have to stop for a while and solve a long succession of puzzles in a row uh basically these puzzle clusters tell a story with the solutions you're finding like there's one where pixel girl is waking up in the morning there's like a picture of the sun which represents her seeing the sun when she wakes up then there's like a tree because she's looking out the window and she sees a tree then there's like toast because she's eating toast i, I thought that was kind of clever i appreciated the that part at least <laughs> and another advantage of this map screen and how the game is built is every relationship can actually be explored in a single playthrough so each map screen is like one chapter of the game and if i just want to focus on like the sudoku relationship i can just keep going to the sudoku nodes or if I want to stop and stay on this map screen after I finished all of Sudoku's little chapters, I can go back and I can do all of chesses, and I can go back and I can do all of all of crosswords. So like if I want to do all of the puzzles, I can do that. If I want to see all of the relationships, I can do that in a single playthrough. Or if I don't care and I just I just want to see how the relationship with Sudoku pans out, then I can focus on that as well. I appreciate that flexibility in this kind of game. Nice. Yeah. There are a lot of cute relationship moments in it, too, that kind of made me go, oh, like, uh, at one point, Pixel Girl and Sudoku are playing an MMO together, and Sudoku has to reach across Pixel Girl to do something with the computer, and Pixel Girl accidentally smells her hair. I was like, oh. <laughs> and then in another one, uh, Pixel Girl and Crossword are running away from a museum, and they have to go pretty fast, and it's kind of an urgent moment, so Crossword has taken pixel girl's hand to help guide her and then when they get away they realize they've been talking for a while and never like never let go of each other's hands i was like oh <laughs> so <laughs> as much as i didn't appreciate you know the dynamics of the relationships i was still captured by them from time to time so the, the game's doing an adequate job of being a dating sim i think and there are also just these hilarious moments of out of context dialogue like uh, at one point or Pixel Girl is playing that MMO. She's going, this is great. I am killing so many small animals. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just posted that online on Twitter without any context just to see people's reactions. <laughs> and there's another one where Chess is confronted by these children that he, he accidentally overwhelmed with his chess knowledge. And uh, one of the children screams, he beat us and made us cry. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure these moments are put in on purpose, just because they're so hilarious to read out of context. Uh, so I'm not done yet, but 
I don't think that hardcore dating sim fans are really going to get into this. It's not that deep of a dating sim. The pixel puzzles are, they're okay. They're not the most challenging I've ever encountered. But they're adequate for, you know, if I needed more to do because I've done everything else on the eShop. It's not a bad game. This doesn't sound like a make-out league at all. <laughs> like, where's the league table? How do they score points? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So it sounds kind of pleasant. Yeah, I, I am a, a fan. I, even though I don't play a lot of them, I, I do like these like puzzle games that add story elements to them. That you know, It's just a little, yeah. a little thing that can just make them more enjoyable. It's certainly not on the League of Murder by Numbers, which came out earlier this year and was a a murder mystery narrative style game with pie cross puzzles. I had made a mental note for a joke at the end and it's gone. <laughs> uh, okay, so next up, uh, Tori, you did talk about No More Heroes uh, 1 last time we spoke and this time you've been playing the sequel. I have. And how's that working out for you? This is such a bizarre series not just in terms of the the story and setting and everything just so the 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 more i play the more the whole satire it it's meant to be a satire on games and video gamers and gaming culture in a in a sense i guess no more heroes 2 kind of does it in a different way um no more heroes 1 is fairly straightforward um i'll, I'll recap just in case you Travis Touchdown, there's uh, a League of Assassins ranked from, you know, 1 to 10, and you have to go in order from 10 and up and kill them all to become the best assassin. Uh, and the character Travis Touchdown is meant to be a stereotype of the otaku uh, subculture. Mm-hmm. So very into uh, cute anime and video games and... Fake Joy Division t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's also a big, I, I wouldn't say big misogynist, but definitely like he, he's definitely heavily leaning in that direction. Mm-hmm. He's not meant to be a hero character, hence the name, I suppose. Uh, no More Heroes 2 kind of does the satire through the gameplay itself. So one of my gripes with No More Heroes 1 was that there was an open world map. First thing I noticed in No More Heroes 2 is that that's completely gone. Um, it's just a list of objectives and you just choose the one that you want to do. Instead of 10 assassins, there's now 51. Oof. Yeah. That was my reaction. (laughs) Um, it, all it is, is a play on the fact that the game's director is... Suda51. Suda51. Um, he's called 51 because his surname is Goichi, which is sort of 5-1. Not necessarily 51, but like 5-1, I'm pretty sure. Um, because like three battles in, you defeat 25 of them at once. Because it's <laughs> oh, a giant okay. mech battle. <laughs> uh, it's a bunch, it's a footballer and a whole bunch of cheerleaders. Because <laughs> they're apparently assassins too. They're piloting a big mech and you're piloting a big mech. And it plays nothing like the rest of the game. Um, it, it genre hops. I don't know if I'm on board for for it yet. I understand what they're trying to do with it to kind of just cover as many games as as possible. In No More Heroes One, between um, 
assassination missions. You have to do jobs to kind of earn money to pay for the um, ranking matches. That's completely gone in number two. But I, I think that's why they chose such a large number is to kind of have more assassin battles that aren't like these big events. It's just so bizarre that they choose 51. Like, I know why the number 51, but why so many? And then three battles in, they halve it. And then <laughs> another two battles, they halve it again. And they hype it up. And it's going to be a battle royale. It's going to be you versus 12 other assassins. And then you get to the to the battle and the other 12 are already dead and you have to fight number 10. It's, it's, it's a strange pacing but it kind of made me relax just like i'm five or six battles into the game and i'm already on the top 10 <laughs> all of the the side missions that i was talking about in the first one it all plays the same like the controls are pretty much the same throughout the entire game um there's some driving throughout the open world but for the most part travis controls the same this time around all of the mini games are actually 8-bit and they play nothing like the main game I think they're meant to be parodies of like retro games and it mm -hmm. certainly makes that Travis Strikes Back spin-off make a bit more sense because that's doing the same thing but it's keeping Travis and you know like 3D and keeping the controls mostly the same whereas in this it's just it's completely off to the side you don't need money as much in this one though so it's it's more of a bonus rather than a necessary thing the combat that was the last thing I wanted to talk about Number one, it felt really clunky. It really showed its age for when it came out. This time around, it's a lot smoother in terms of how Travis controls. Um, they've added more enemy types. So there's, there's like big fat guys with chainsaws that come at you now. Uh, and axes and, you know, more melee weapons that can actually parry uh, your beam katana. So it, it, it adds a bit more complexity to it, but I don't think it adds more depth. But uh, I think I'm only like a third of the way through number two so far. It's very... I'm trying to find like a neutral word to describe it, and I think eclectic is <laughs> the best fitting word. It's, it's all over the place, but not in a bad way. It's, it's basically just taking the first one and just adding... just going out of control with it i guess yeah it's one of those things where like uh you know messy is messy but messy can also be really fun yeah you know like, it can be like a breath of fresh air the presentation like is so much better and, it, and it, that allows more breathing room for that sort of mess to kind of make mm -hmm. sense but yeah it um it throws a lot at you very quickly in terms of just the genre hopping like that mech battle controls because it, it's like a left-to-right fighting game sort of thing, rather than a mm -hmm. 3D over-the-shoulder camera. Yep. You won't forget it. <laughs> if you play it, you won't forget it. Did you finish the first one? No, I'm about a third of the way through that one as well. Um, I'm kind of playing both simultaneously, just because I'm curious about how they compare. Yeah, okay. Uh, which is an unorthodox way of doing <laughs> it, but... I wanted to talk about the second one on this episode, so I kind of just left the first one, put it on pause, played the second yeah, one all day. 
That's fair. I, I just wonder because I, I sometimes have that thing if I skip ahead where I, I couldn't go back to the first one, so I didn't know how you were going with that. So the second one opens up with Travis doing the whole what the hell happened between the last last game and this? <laughs> like he actually references the fact that he's in a game. Um and the character he's talking to is basically uh, nobody's interested in that. <laughs> That's all boring. Let's just kill stuff. <laughs> So it, it it's very self-aware in that regard. So you're going to carry on with both? Yeah, I'm hoping to, to finish both. They're not very long games from what I hear. It's like 10 hours each. Mm-hmm. And I'm about three, four hours in on each. Mm-hmm. It should be good. Okay, so uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity Game of the Year. Game of the Year. As yeah. Andrew will call it. Um, I imagine well- more inclined to to think that that might be the case after playing the demo. Uh, have you two checked out the demo at all? Yes, I've played it twice. Nice. Andrew? I am waiting for the full game to be out because I think if I played the demo, I would go stir fry waiting for the full game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So uh, the first thing I want to say about the demo is uh, friendship ended with Baby Yoda. Now Baby Guardian is my best friend. <laughs> I adore Baby Guardian. <laughs> so, first thoughts. I booted up the game. It throws you straight into a mission after a little intro about what's happening in the world of Hyrule. Um, and my first thought was, man, this runs worse than Hyrule Warriors. Mm. It's it's the sort of game that makes you wonder... Well, not even. It, it's the sort of game that just confirms in your head that yeah they're making a new switch that's coming soon yeah I, it's just um just initial like wow this this i feel like it's significantly i mean it's a demo I'll, I'll, you know there's there's that as well yeah. um but the second the combat started that i instantly forgot about how it was running because that uh the combat is phenomenal i love it um so if handles very very similar to the last Hyrule Warriors you know you you got the same patterns you're cutting down just swaths of enemy with a, a mixture of uh, quick and uh, high attacks and then you've got your specials and all that. The big differences that this demo really pointed out is what they're bringing over from Breath of the Wild in particular um, so a lot of the skill set carries over so Enemies will have weak spots in this one, so a lot of them, the head is the weak spot, so you can use Cryonist to create a block to stand on to hit them in the head, um, which was great, but I kept falling off by accident. I will get the hang of that, I swear. Um, I think it's because I kept jumping, doing a jumping attack, and then like swiping in the air until I fell, and then I was already off the block. So. <laughs> but like, the, the format is very similar to Hyrule Warriors, so if you just want more Hyrule Warriors, you're not going to be disappointed. But uh, the stuff that they're bringing over from Breath of the Wild is really cool. I forget the name of the skill that pauses time. Now I'm worried it's Cryonis. It's Stasis. No, that's cry- stasis. stasis, yeah. yeah. Uh, stasis, you can pause like a bunch of enemies in front of you and then just wail on them until they uh, you know, unfreeze. Uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, good intent for bringing over that stuff from Breath of the Wild, which is really good because, uh, you know, uh, they can say it was... Uh, a Breath of the Wild uh, precursor as much as they want. I was always worried it was just going to be more of the same in a Breath of the Wild skin, but they have really thought about what they're bringing over and how that's going to fit in and balance 
with this game. So the the missions are very similar. You know, it only gives you two story missions, so they're not going to go too nuts with the objectives. So you know, beat certain enemies, capture certain keeps, uh, that sort of thing. Um, my memory sketchy on this one. Did the previous game did they have like special finishing moves for the keep bosses? Um, I think the keep. Because mm. it, it so in this one you can uh, if you wail away at their um, stamina bar for the one of a better word uh, where you you know you break them then you can do a one hit kill to finish off taking over the the keep that was pretty cool I don't and, think so in the original because I think you just yeah. killed them like they yeah, were just so think, a bigger regular enemy yeah that's what I thought um, so that, that's that's a really uh, neat little change up. Um, secondly, uh, the other thing this demo taught me is that Zelda is fun as hell to play as in this one. <laughs> I like how they did this. Yeah, so she uses the uh, Sheik Slate. Like you'll you'll mash the button, and she'll just use every single ability that the Sheik Slate has. She'll cycle through all of the runes. Yeah, and if you press the heavy attack after she's done a certain rune, yep. It'll kind of do like a, a heavier version of yes. that rune, which I really like. And also you can set uh, exploding blocks and yep. trigger them. Uh, giant bombs as well. That was, I love that was that. one that came out. <laughs> just I love the I Magnesis the one though. Yeah. To steal everybody's weapons and basically wonderful 101 them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Zelda is the the pinnacle of this uh, demo so if she if she's just a taster of the combat styles that you, that you get in this one oh boy I, i'm like i usually like in hyrule warriors i i played link as much as i could because i like link as a character um i i think zelda will be my my go-to as much as i'm allowed to play as her in this one i think i want to try and get better at impa yeah she seems like she's got a like a high potential just very confusing mm-hmm um, so basically she can summon sort of hologram clones of herself and the more that she has out, the more uh, damage she can do and the, the more specialized um, finisher moves she can do as well. Mm -hmm. The combat's great. Uh, the maps are what you expect. Um, Actually, so if you like... Sorry, just on, on maps? Yep. I really like that it's not like this sort of grid-based thing that Hyrule Warriors, mm -hmm. the first one, was. Yeah, you're right. It feels a bit more... Uh, it's more natural. Form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, certain paths uh, through, like, one of the missions you had to... There's a guardian after you, and you had to lead him into uh, reactivated old guardians to destroy it. Um, and the path to those wasn't always clear, so you had to figure out the right way to go to... Uh, to get to the objective hmm. um managing your team is also just as easy as it was pull up the map point them in a direction that's where they'll go so while while it does crib a lot from the last game uh, it's looking like there's a, a lot more variety in this one uh which so if it doesn't compact with an adventure mode or an equivalent um i think that variety in combat is going to be where a lot of the replay value is uh the structure so it kind of appears like it's going to be more open-ended but might not be so like the last game you had the uh, you know the linear point-to-point -point missions and then it gave you optional deviations for side stories i think that's what they're doing they're just they've altered the presentation because your upgrades are on the same map yeah so they, they've moved that 
I, th- I think it's following the same structure, but it, they're putting it in the Breath of the Wild context. So you have a map, mm. uh, which you move around. You select the mission you want to do. So um, the demo ended just as it gave me a choice of three, which is what I really wanted to see, like how much flexibility it's going to give me in picking the missions I want. Um, but yeah, there's other things to do in the map. So you'll collect items during combat, which you can then spend like to get recipes to give you benefits in the missions you can then use like your crafting materials to unlock the blacksmith and uh yeah and that's all managed from the map rather than a a separate sub menu makes it feel a bit more um, yeah cohesive but I, I just like how they've kind of contextualized the upgrades for the characters yeah. where you know you give a village the resources that they need and one of the villagers has taught link a new combo mm-hmm. um it's just interesting that it's all consolidated on that one map now yeah it's uh like it, all it, of it it feels uh, more uh, natural mm. to the breath of the wild format than the previous system did and you've um, got your challenge maps in there too mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point i hadn't done it here then i should go back and check those out uh i forgot they were a thing they kind of feel like the adventure mode yeah, okay. That, maybe that's how they hide that in then. Like, it feels more open-ended, but and it's kind of an illusion of choice. Uh, but it definitely fits the Breath of the Wild model. Yeah, you covered off all my bullet points there. Thanks, Tori. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're, I'm joking. <laughs> One thing I did like was the accidental pun that they had when they announced uh, Link as a character in the game. So you do your first mission, then it introduces the characters you're allowed to play as with, like, a title card. Um Link is the Silent Knight, just before Christmas as well. How how sweet is that? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't want to cover it too much because uh, yeah, the full game's coming out next week, and hopefully we'll have a lot more to say about it then. But uh, just a, a little taste of what the uh, demo gives you is just phenomenal, and like any concerns I had over performance just instantly melded away the second I got to hit a bunch of enemies in the face. So. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited for this one now. Uh, yeah. So that's that. Uh, and the last game we're going to talk about this week is uh, Fuser. Fuser. It's a music game, but it's more about creating new things. Is that right? So a lot of people will ask, is this like a, a music creation tool, software, or is it a game? And it's a good question. Because it... I, it's somewhere in the middle, but it's leaning more towards music creation tool, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. As a preface, I've played this on PC. I've done a little bit of research. It plays pretty smoothly on Switch from the footage I've seen. The major difference on all platforms, actually, is just the color of the four decks match with the colors of the face buttons, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, Switch doesn't have colored face buttons, so they've just picked, like, blue and purple and and the like other than that it looks like it plays the same just 30 frames per second instead of 60 mm-hmm. not that that really matters too much because you're not really playing for the graphics it's all about the music so the the basic gist of the game is to create your own tracks out of bits and pieces of the um, tracks that they include in the game uh, there's over a hundred and it being a harmonics game, so if you play Guitar Hero, the originals, or Rock Band, or even I think Dance Central probably had DLC, mm-hmm. they're 
constantly adding new music. So even if you get bored of what's there, you can always add on to it later. If you're really passionate about it, it will kind of add up money-wise, but mm-hmm. which is a, a probably a good point to start off with is that if you're not a musician or if you don't really listen to music on a technical level, you will have a little bit of a hup- uphill battle with this one. Because it's not just about rhythm, it's about kind of... Okay, let me rephrase that. Understanding how (laughs) songs are built. Yeah, Yeah. it is about rhythm, but not in a timing sense. Like, you're not... You are kind of uh, scored on your timing in the campaign mode. And it will obviously be important. But knowing the rhythm of the individual songs, like where the offbeats are on the notes and the drums and the like, you can create some, like, sublime stuff just if you know the songs inside out. Mm-hmm. So the basic gist of it is every song in the game is split into four tracks. You've got your rhythm section, which is your typically your drums, but sometimes it can be just a drum machine. Bass, in the version that I played, it's green. Uh, they all have colors. Um, drums are blue. Bass is green, but it's not always bass guitar. Sometimes it can be strings, it can be horns. It can just be synth. Um, same with the melodic section, I guess, which is like your your kind of standout instruments. So your lead guitars, your prominent synths, your turntables, more strings in there as well. Uh, and then you've got your typically your vocals, and that can be actual singing because this is... The reason why it's really hard to de- define the four tracks is because they use genres from pop to Latin Caribbean to country even. You got rock, you got Megadeth in there. Oh, wow. It's just, you, you can mix genres and songs that have no right to be together, let alone sound good together. And the game does a good job of mixing everything to the right tempo and the right uh, key and mode. So you can alter things like what key something is. Um, I think it usually does it automatically depending on the first melodic track you put in. And then the tempo is typically based on, you know, what drums or whatever you've put in. You can make some good songs sound pretty awful as well by the same token. (laughs) Um, Some songs are just, they're written in a minor key and you can put them into major and it just sounds wrong (laughs) so yeah as i was saying there is a campaign mode i actually find this mode to be incredibly frustrating which is really disappointing to say it's really punishing Mm -hmm. you'd think that in a game like this the game would be all about making something that sounds good but um the campaign mode the way that the scoring works it kind of demands that you're always changing out tracks and that gets in the way of like you, you can like stumble upon a really good mix but if you stay on it for too long you start losing score and that feels counterintuitive to me you can be on a song for like four bars which is not all that long in music terms but it's too long for the game Mm -hmm. and so you can be excited to hear you know maybe the chorus for all star is coming up but you're not going to get there because you have to swap out otherwise you fail So weirdly, yeah, the campaign kind of fights against that creativity that you might feel when you're playing the game, getting into the groove. 
And unfortunately, a lot of stuff is actually locked behind certain levels of the campaign and certain um, ratings. I'm playing the game like fairly well, I feel, but I'm struggling to get more than three stars most of the time out of five. Mm-hmm. That doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah, this um, sounds a lot like the uh, Beat Saber campaign on PSVR, which, um, you know, yeah, coming from... You know, Guitar Hero and other rhythm games, DJ Hero for one, which is also great. You should check that out if you haven't. Like that whole campaign is just, you know, let me play well and beat the song and try and beat my score and work my way through your list of songs. Uh, That was just a frustrating challenge mode, like don't move your arms as much. Yeah, I remember trying to play that on the PlayStation VR and I just, it was miserable. So I end up skipping the campaign altogether and just, you know, playing the songs that I enjoyed playing. So, yeah, uh, I, I completely get where you're coming from with that. That sounds like a, a similar problem that they've put themselves into here. Yeah, which is, it's a shame because it's the only mod that, mode that really scores you. Mm-hmm. And again, there's stuff locked, like actual songs locked behind uh, the campaign mode, which it kind of kills my mood to play it. Mm-hmm. Luckily, there is a freestyle mode. There's no scoring in this. You can't do anything wrong. Um, And you can just go ham. And you load up your crate. Um, So crate, I guess it's a DJ thing where you have your your vinyl records Mm -hmm. in a As a a a former DJ, yes. Yes. Um, How many songs is it? It's like eight, 24 songs that you can bring in, which... In freestyle mode, you'd hope that you'd have, like, your full selection of songs. Because 24 can feel kind of limiting if you're going for variety. Because sometimes you'll have, like, a really good jam and you're like, oh, I know the perfect song that would work well with this and you just can't put it in there. You'd have to quit out, put it in there, swap it out for something else and then go back in. It sounds like I'm kind of ragging on this game, but once you're actually, like, in the middle of playing a song and you've got the stars aligned... You've got the perfect instruments all together. It's incredible. Um, especially if you've got somebody else that you're sharing it with. Um, I've been doing like the screen share thing with a friend in America. And mm-hmm. she she will request some songs and I'll chuck them in and I'll put in what I think sounds good. So it's kind of like a collaborative thing as well. Nice. I think that's where the value of the game is. Because at that point, it's not really a game. Um, at that point, it really is just software. Yeah, it's it's that fine balance. Yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's so bizarre. Because I play drums in real life, so I loved rock band drums because it was basically the real thing. Mm-hmm. So being able to kind of challenge yourself and have your score, but just play for the fun of, like, you like the songs. Yeah. Um. But with Fuser, if you kind of do that equivalent of just find, finding music that you like and kind of making it work in a different way, you're not scored on it. You're just doing it because you can. Mm-hmm. And in a video game, you kind of want a purpose beyond just because you can. Yeah. Um, you just reminded me of a story. I had a friend who uh, was really good at Guitar Hero, but he rage quit because uh, playing one of his favorite songs on Expert was actually harder than playing it in real life. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about you yeah <laughs> uh, so, yeah. oh yeah and on top of your um, 
your actual like real songs, you can also add uh, instruments. So I yep. can't remember what they're called. I remember one of them being called like a launch pad or something. It's one of those, it's like a grid of buttons. Oh, yeah. And you you play samples when you hit the buttons. You can do yeah, that yeah. for different instruments, like your drums and your bass, and then you can kind of add them into your tracks as well. The game will also, you, you can put in a new track on a downbeat. So in musical terms, you've got one, two, three, four. You can put in a new track on one at any point and it will mm-hmm. be fine. But the song will also suggest what are called pickups. So these might not be on beat one necessarily. They're, they're just moments in, in a track. So for vocals, it might just be a really good, like that's where the, the chorus kicks in or an iconic part of the song kicks in and you the can hook. drop it in on that note, uh, on that beat instead of one. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. I, like software wouldn't do that. This is something that you'd have to manually go in and do. Mm-hmm. And there are also like uh, track effects that you can do as well. So like your your flange and your uh, low pass filters, you can chuck them in on certain tracks as well or on the entire track. The thing that I'm appreciating the most about this game is the fact that with Rock Band, you typically stuck with songs that you liked. Uh, with this, you can just... There might be a genre that you don't like, but there might be a specific part of the song that you do, like a specific instrument or is part of a, like a chorus or what have you. Mm-hmm. You can just use that part. So instead of being a fan of the entire Latin Caribbean genre, <laughs> I can just pick out the drum beats because they're really good, like stompy drum beats. Yeah. And I can set it up against whatever I've got going. It's really like you can have Megadeth on top of Happy by Pharrell Williams. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't expecting to see Brad Paisley in here at all. No. I, yeah. There's Shania Twain in here. Okay, call me maybe. You've just, you've just sold the game. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't unlocked that track yet, actually. I, but you can put in the cow, Cowbell from Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Reaper. Oh, nice. Yeah, I am yeah. Uh, not. I'm not a fan of pop music, but oh my god, uh, "Call Me Maybe" is just a great song, regardless of what genre you're into. Um, yeah, pop is the one that I'm like, I can live without it, but you know, you, you have to admit that sometimes it can have a catchy element to it. I mean, Smash Mouth can't go past that. Oh yeah, we'll we'll have a hopefully a special mix. <laughs> Push it! I love that. Oh my god, Rick Astley. Yep. Got never gonna give you one. Can, can you? They should have an achievement where you just layer Rick Astley over Rick Astley, and it's a Rick Roll achievement. <laughs> well, that's one thing that the game doesn't really tell you, but you can actually double up on tracks. Oh, nice. I guess that's one limitation that I, I wish you could work around. Like, if you could actually sample parts of the track and use those samples on like a, a touchpad sort of thing, mm-hmm. because basically all it's doing is playing all of the tracks together at the same time. Yep. So certain parts of the song, you you can't time like the chorus. You can't start with never going to give you up, like right at the start of the song. You're starting the song where it would naturally start. Yep. That gets a bit annoying. Okay. I think I want to try this, even if the campaign's rubbish. Um, It's a bit, it is a bit pricey. Mm-hmm. I think it's $90 Australian because there's a lot of music 
that they have the license for this. But like you, you say that, and then it's like, isn't that just Australian prices anyway? It is, but um, I've seen <laughs> um, American gamers complaining about the price too. I think it's seventy USD. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. that's fair. Uh, if, I, th- I think my intrigue's going to win over on that. It's a music game for music nerds, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's not a rhythm game. Don't go in expecting a rhythm game. Go in expecting a game where you really like music, like a wide range of music, and you just want to create some interesting stuff from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds really cool. Um, they've experimented with that sort of thing before with a VR game as well, uh, harmonics, music, something, and that was really fun and trippy, similar kind of thing. They also um, had uh, Drop Mix, which was yeah. a AR, not AR, what do you call it? Yeah, NFC. Killer. Yeah, NFC. Yeah, um, you had the, the expensive controller. Yeah, it was just a, a card game, and you could mm-hmm. layer tracks. It's basically a video game version of Drop Mix, if you've played that. Uh, well, I know people have, that have played it, but I haven't. Um, yeah, sounds cool. Uh, I'm definitely interested. Andrew? I'm interested. I've always been interested. I really liked all of Harmonix's games, really. I'd like to see another update to uh, Rock Band Unplugged. Um, mm-hmm. But since this is a music creation tool and not an actual game, for the most part, I don't know if i would ever really use it that much because <laughs> uh you know i've always got to feel like i'm moving forward and i think all the time i would spend with this would feel like i'm standing still and i don't think i don't think my brain would be very happy about that so <laughs> i think this would be a very expensive purchase for me and it would i think definitely if this went on sale yeah it could be like a fun weekend at the very least if it got a good <laughs> sale I, I might take a look at it but it would have to be a really good sale. Fair enough. Uh, And I think that's it for this episode. Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Uh, Andrew, we'll start with you. Game of the year, game of the year, age of game of the year. (laughs) Harry Rule Warriors. Uh, Sorry. Also, the game of the year. Um... Hopefully I'll finish No More Heroes before that comes out. But Cool. So, uh, same for me. As long as it arrives on time, it hasn't shipped yet. So, uh, keeping a close eye on that. Otherwise, I think I'm going to try and smash through Oddworld New and Tasty if it doesn't arrive. Or doesn't look like it's arriving. Okay, so that's it. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and uh, subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and The Power of X. We're all part of the Game Podular network. Uh, We're going to have some more uh, non-platform-specific shows coming up in the future, um, probably coming in 2021 uh so you know check out the website have a look and uh, check out what else we do uh make sure to join our discord server to interact with the lively game podular community you can follow us on twitter youtube facebook and at gamepodular.com for updates news and other content links for all that are in the show notes if you want to support the shows uh, you can buy us a coffee or you can become a game podular patreon details for both of these things are on our website thanks in advance uh, this episode was edited by andrew 
and you can follow him on Twitter at playcritically. Uh, and you can also follow myself and Tori on Twitter. I'm at Flame Roast Toast, and Tori is at Stew2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O. Stop coming, fed to the rules, and I hit the ground running. Didn't make sense not to live for fun. Your brain gets smart, but your head gets dumb. So much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get This is great. I am killing so many small animals. <laughs>